We had the eyes of the world, and the ears of the world, and the hearts of the world, and the asses of the world, but that wasn't enough. We had to have their votes, too. to say that cinema is dead. Cinema's dead. I said it. The movies are over. Fsio, Ferch, Finito, Dunzo, Caput, Capiche? They're done. They're finished. Or are they? Yes, they are. They're dead. The movies are dead. We are in the end credit scroll of the major motion picture. And we are desperate for the occasional amusing blooper to show up on the side of the screen. Cinema is dead. Or so they say. So I say. So you say. So everybody says. The Oscars. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, more like stale pawn of South Beverly Hills. Yeah, I went there. That entire show felt like elder abuse. There was even a classic how far we've fallen moment when they honored the Godfather and suddenly everyone there perked up like, holy shit, a real movie we actually care about. For that one tiny segment, a beautiful stallion had seemingly galloped into the room. And it was especially poetic because the Godfather was an example of what always made Hollywood great. An all-white cast, director, writer, and story amounting to something that was adored by black audiences. If they want to save the Oscars next year, they should nominate movies from the 70s, or the 60s, or 50s, or 40s, or even 80s and 90s. Just pick an interesting year in cinema history, renominate all the films, and rectify all the notorious snubs. See which one would win according to the test of time. I'd watch that. But if they stick to nominating new Hollywood movies, they should at least move the ceremony out of a giant fancy theater to a more appropriate location, like a Panda Express. So yeah, Hollywood is dead. The Academy is dead. There's no doubt whatsoever about any of that. Except, if the movies are so dead, why can't we stop talking about how dead they are? Gerald Ford is dead, but you don't hear everyone constantly bemoaning how there's no Gerald Ford anymore. You know something's truly dead when nobody talks about it anymore. The Oscars, for example, apart from The Thing that made headlines, mainly because it featured two stars from the 90s, nobody watches or talks about the Oscars anymore. Nobody even knows when they're on these last few years. But that's not true of the movies. We do talk about the movies. We talk about how dead they are, constantly. We, ca we can't we can't quite let go of this thing called cinema. And I don't mind calling it cinema. No matter how pretentious Gen X people decided that word was, pretentiousness is here to stay because we saw what happened when everyone got afraid of seeming pretentious. Without pretense, there is no art. There is no greatness. 
And there sure as hell is no cinema. Anyway, I am pretty much the first millennial, you know, whatever, I don't know. I'm not a typical millennial because generation identities are drawn from the median. So as the first millennial, I am basically a discarded prototype. But if you are any kind of millennial or older, the fact is that a significant part of you has been shaped and formed by the movies. Sleeping Beauty is the first movie I recall being in love with. Had the VHS, watched it nonstop, always went to that attraction first in Disneyland. It was a walkthrough in the, in the castle with no line. I was enamored of Maleficent. Nothing foreshadowing about that. And if I'm being completely honest, I liked all the Disney and, you know, full feature movies up through Aladdin. Lion King is the one that jumped the shark for me with all that Elton John Africa Circle of Life pagan bullshit. Even then, I didn't quite buy the whole new agey Hakuna Matata, Potato Patata. Something about it felt a little gay. Not the good kind of gay, where it's a Disney villain having her way with all the pretty creatures of the kingdom. Uh, more the other kind of gay. That was the first Disney movie of that run that I think had absolutely no humans in it. Felt dumber than Aladdin, less than Little Mermaid, weaker than Beauty and the Beast, and definitely, definitely not as charming as all the older ones. I don't think I ever cared about the romances in those cartoons as a kid. Um, I think I was always just rooting for the cute characters not to get hurt. And I mention all this to put my cards on the table because it's obvious that Disney movies groomed me to be a pussy. Then came Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that was a major influence on my childhood. That set the stage for a lot. I had a big crush on Jessica Rabbit, who, unlike Maleficent, set a more attainable standard of female beauty to aspire to. That movie gave me a fetish for automobiles, for that green liquid dip, a drip, whatever it was called. Um, it gave me a fetish for menacing liquids. And it was an homage to film noir and to mysteries and a sort of retelling of Chinatown, which probably planted the seeds of my future attraction to old movies and mythologies of Los Angeles. Toontown. I guess that stood for Chinatown, now that I think of it. Anyway, Toontown seemed like a really wild and fun ghetto. I mean, imagine the public schools in Toontown. Then came Adam's Family, 1991. That was also monumental. My dad did not want me to see that movie. He thought I wouldn't like it. I remember him warning me, yet again, outside of the Bruin Theater in Westwood, that it is not a movie for kids. And I really wanted to see it. I was six years old. And I loved every minute of it. Adam's Family was my Harry Potter. And thank God, because if an early childhood of Disney films culminated in a later childhood and adolescence of Harry Potter... Can you imagine how lost I would have been in hog pussy warts forever? I mean, that would have been irretrievable pussydom. I respect J.K. Rowling's achievements and activism in recent years, but I gotta think it's motivated by a secret suspicion that her books infantilized an entire generation beyond repair. But Adam's family saved me. First of all, as a child of Armenian immigrants from Bulgaria, for once, here was a family I could relate 
too. Horny, spirited husband, played by Raul Julia. Moody and macabre wife, played perfectly by Angelica Houston. Bald, eccentric prankster uncle, played to perfection by Christopher Lloyd. Mindfucker daughter, Christina Ritchie. A family cousin who is all hair. A personal assistant who is just a right hand. Big, loud parties where they all dance the babushka. A dedication to ancient, bizarre traditions that creep out the fussy neighbors, but eventually win them over. Sounds like my people. And I love the mansion, with all its rooms having their own quirky themes. It gave me a fetish for rooms. I don't even need to know if Charles Adams was a turf. Gomez. Feel the power. Don't torture yourself. Get the jackpot! That's French. There, see what greed will get you? The Mamushka! No, no, no! Fuck yeah. That's another thing the perfectly cast Adams Family gave us, is that great pinball machine. The greatest pinball game of all time, by consensus opinion. So my father's bad prediction actually had a very happy ending because he also loved the movie, as I recall. And the Adams Family pinball game became our little ritual with it, him taking the right flipper, me taking the left flipper, and every week or so we would battle against the bumpers of that pinball game at the Shakey's in Santa Monica. Thanks to my parents and grandparents, Laurel and Hardy was also a part of that early movie mix. And the Pink Panther with Peter Sellers series was also part of that early movie mix. So all of these movies, the Disney's, the Laurel and Hardy's, Peter Sellers, Roger Rabbit, Adam's Family, all of these things groomed me for Hitchcock, whose work I was mesmerized by first in middle school. And Hitchcock groomed me for my classic cinema pilling in ninth grade, where I fell in love with Double Indemnity and Citizen Kane, and from there it was Howard Hawks, Preston Sturgis, David Lynch, and we're off to the races. Lights, camera, blackshin. From there. From old movies, I learned how to drink whiskey, neat, coffee black, how to smoke cigars, how to dissolve. I learned how to sweep a woman off her feet and gently put her aside as I pursued a different type of creature. Movies are the language of memory, and so in some ways, I learned how to remember from the movies, or at least kind of how to navigate the tricky logics of memory in search of messages. I have a feeling I also learned how to talk from movies. That strange, bombastic, baroque way I seem to sound to people, I could only guess, came not only from being ESL, but from my fascination with the carnival-barking screwball diction of old movies. I don't know this for sure, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. The movies, in tandem with my middle school basketball coach, Leonard Owens, who drove to school from Compton in a tarnished green 68 bug with a bullet hole in the windshield, who called us motherfuckers and pussies and retards and n-words after every bad stupid mistake, in large part taught me how to be a man, or at least how to strive to be a man. If we're being honest, it was probably mostly Coach Owens, 
who taught me this, not the movies. Let's give credit where credit is due. It was coach and the game of basketball. But then again, what is the game of basketball? If not a two and a half hour movie I watched every night of NBA season on the TV and then live at a cinema called Polly Pavilion whenever UCLA played. A movie I constantly imagine myself to one day star in. Didn't work out that way. What the movies taught me specifically are, I think, the ornaments of being a man, the sound, the style of a man's man, a man amongst men being men. And ornaments, at some point, if worn long enough, become part of the tree. The point is I was crafted in many ways by the movies, and I bet so were you. And so, if cinema is dead, what does that say about us? Easton Ellis, among many other smart people, call him the best film critic of our times. But he is more than a critic. He's more than a historian, although he's both of those things, as well as a fiction writer. I would call him both the Boswell and the Johnson of the movies. But whatever we wish to call him, David Thompson is the most important writer about movies of our time, and in my opinion, of any time, ever. He has been taking the movies and their creators and what they do to us very seriously 
for a very long time, but also not too seriously, because he's looking from the grand stage, where it's not just movies and pop culture, but also literature and everything the movies sometimes try and fail to be. As the monumental American writers about film go, I would put the matter like this. If you'd fuck James Agee, if you'd kill Pauline Kael, in the fun argumentative way, I mean, you would definitely want to marry David Thompson. He made his name with the famous Biographical Dictionary of Film, a giant tome with over 1,300 essays on the directors, actors, producers, and writers who have dealt in moving images with the greatest consequence as he sees it. The first edition of the Biographical Dictionary came out in 1975 and cemented David Thompson's reputation. The sixth and final edition of the book came out in 2014. Each time he released a new edition, which was always an event, Thompson added new entries and revised or expanded old ones to cover new works, and his changing views of the historical arcs and careers and legacies kind of formed this continuing story of the cinema, one that felt comprehensive. Every film lover should have this book on his shelf. But it actually wasn't the first book by him that I had on my shelf. Uh, That would be the companion opus, published in 2007, called Have You Seen? A Personal Introduction to 1000 Films. And to give you a random flavor of David Thompson's way of looking, I'm going to read an entry out of that one. I'm choosing it because it's a good microcosm of the style and qualities I have always loved about David Thompson, especially how he's a good liberal Democrat, but almost never, and never is not a word that survives Donald Trump or the last several years of watching MSNBC, but singularly for movie thinkers, he almost never allows politics to cloud his vision. Anyway, here's the entry on The Fountainhead. Having walked away from David O. Selznick's Duel in the Sun because of the intolerable competition between director and producer, King Vidor somehow agreed to make the movie of Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. And so the director of Our Daily Bread, one of the most genuinely communist pictures ever made in the United States, turned to the massive right-wing positivism of Miss Rand. And what emerges, of course is that the one is not so far from the other. In America, ideologies come and go, but personal passion, the confidence that the whole thing is about me, is what matters. Never forget that Charles Foster Kane, hailed as communist and fascist in his great obituary, had another title for himself, American. What matters about The Fountainhead is that it is a King Vidor film, and one of the great examples of his towering achievement in trash. Some say Howard Rourke, the architect, was based on Frank Lloyd Wright. That immediately gives him an interest in pure design that is frivolous. Rourke is a creative ego who designs buildings only initially for the good of society. His real purpose is to make a battleground with the craven forces of approval and to assert his creative rights over all their treacherous second-guessing. He would as easily destroy a building as erect it, and surely the elements of movie in the Fountainhead help this scheme. Real buildings are obstinate, 
in the movies. They are decor tents, inflated or raised in one cut, or dissolve. So Rand involved herself in the production. She wrote the script, and then she stood up for Gary Cooper as Rourke, instead of accepting Vidor's choice, Humphrey Bogart. That sounds like Doolin the Sun again. But pause a moment. In keeping her own baby talk and violent narrative energy, she served Vidor and left him to discover the cinematic expression that makes the dialogue seem natural. And in rejecting the more intelligent, quote-unquote, actor, the one who might have been better with the talk, she helped us see that Rourke is more a force than a mind. Cooper is iconic, full of savage grace and grudging of conversation. Bogart was smart enough to sneer at the film's hysteria. Cooper never noticed it. After that, it's like looking at the first film ever made. You can believe this is primitive cinema in which psychic thrust lies naked in the imagery like a sword in a bed. There is no inhibition, and the viewer settles in after a few minutes. The exaggeration relies on the constant, penetrative accuracy of the imagery. You don't need to have Rourke, the drill, and Dominique, Patricia O'Neill, explained. The film ravishes us. We might cry rape, but we have paid our money. And the risk of Rand's hysterical intellectualism is grounded by all the rock and stone, and by the impassive, unwavering Cooperism. What really shows Vidor's intelligence, a quality he was apt to mask, is the wit and cunning in the playing of Patricia Neal, Raymond Massey, Robert Douglas, and even Kent Smith. This is a film that reaches a point where it cannot make a mistake. That is the essence of Rand. Double jackpot! There's more where that came from! Dozens of other David Thompson books have followed the biographical dictionary. Two of them are works of fiction that we are going to discuss later on in the conversation, so I'll leave those out for now, but the rest include... America in the Dark, Hollywood and the Gift of Unreality, Overexposures, A Crisis in American Filmmaking, Warren Beatty and Desert Eyes, Showman, The Life of David Oselznik, Four to Two, which I assume is a baseball or some kind of score of some kind, Rosebud, The Story of Orson Welles, Beneath Mulholland, Thoughts on Hollywood and Its Ghosts, The Alien Quartet, The Bloomsbury Movie Guide, The Big Sleep, a BFI frame-by-frame monograph like the one Palia wrote for The Birds on the same series. The Marvelous in Nevada, The Land the People Got in Chance. Hollywood, A Celebration. Marlon Brando, The Whole Equation, A History of Hollywood. That's one of my favorites. Nicole Kidman, the aforementioned Have You Seen? Try to Tell the Story, a memoir. The Moment of Psycho, How Alfred Hitchcock Taught America to Love Murder. A series of brief biographies on Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Gary Cooper, Betty Davis. Then, The Big Screen, The Story of the Movies and What They Did to Us. Moments That Made the Movies. Why Acting Matters. How to Watch a Movie, a really good one. Television, a biography. Sleeping with Strangers, How the Movies Shape Desire. Murder in the Movies. A Light in the Dark, A History of Film Directors, and, most recently of all, published just a few months ago, Disaster Mon Amour.
Back in 2017, I visited David Thompson at his home in San Francisco for a more formal interview where I rattled off as many questions as I could about his career as an author and cinephile. At the time, he was writing a lot about the changing landscape of visual technology, so we discussed his thoughts on how the pictures were getting small again, how worship of the moving image was returning to its primitive roots in the Nickelodeon. We talked about his personal interactions with people like David Lynch and Al Pacino, his changing views on various film directors, anything I could think to ask in two and a half hours in that curious moment in 2017. I still have the audio of that interview, and I've published it on Patreon for my subscribers. So make yourself comfortable at patreon.com slash filthyarmenian to listen to that prequel and immerse yourself in the complete 4D adventure of this podcast. It was June 2017, five years ago. We were in a moment of so-called peak TV. The miracle of Twin Peaks The Return had just come out, and like most miracles, many had no idea what to make of it. Around then, it did seem like what we lost in terms of ambitious feature filmmaking was maybe being replaced with opportunities in long-form television thanks to the streaming boom with its promises of risky content that didn't need the same broad audience numbers TV once needed and multiplexes now demanded. For all the scary changes underway in terms of tech and viewing habits, there was good shit to watch in 2017, and there was hope for more good shit to come. Then a few months... After I left San Francisco, we were treated to something called Me Too. And all hope was canceled. Pictures might have survived losing all their cultural edge and variety in the name of marginalized voices, where everyone looks different but acts and thinks like the same boring HR person. In theory, boring, vaguely mixed-race HR people could still fuck each other. But not after Me Too. The masculinity panic of Me Too removed all sexual vigor and candor and humor and reality and fantasy from film and TV, and replaced it 
with the titillating narrative of Believe Women. Some people always wondered what would happen if you took sex and desire out of TV and movies, and for once freed us of the oppressive male gaze. And what happened is nothing. The movies became nothing. There was nothing left. Literally all the theaters in America shut down for a year just to drive the point home, and nobody even noticed. Roughly a hundred years after they entered American politics, women assumed power over the movies. And we got prohibition. Before Me Too, David Thompson had completed the manuscript for a book called Sleeping with Strangers, How the Movies Shape Desire. It started out as a history of gay influence on the movies, and in typical Thompson fashion, became a larger meditation on how the movies train our love muscles or cramp them. The last chapter was about his friend, the director James Toback, who was quite severely Me Too'd. Thompson felt the need to revise the book to reflect this very serious reckoning with the hazards of male privilege. And so he sprinkled a bunch of caveats and remorseful second thoughts throughout the book, taking some of the piss and vinegar out of the many wonderful stories and gossips and speculations it contained. I got a very uneasy feeling reading the book. So many wonderful things about it. Anyone who cares about the sexual history of Hollywood should read it, and why wouldn't you care about that? But it felt like it had to pass through the haze code of sex thinking. It felt spiritually censored. It felt like this wonderful man I've spent 15 years and thousands of pages conversing with over this magical American invention of movies, this absolute peak in collaborative human adventure. Sorry if it's a lot of, it's a lot of men. This man was going down the... L long slide of guilt over his lifetime of marriage to the movies. And I just thought to myself, no, 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 stop, stop, Erika, stop. We're not going to do this, right? We're not going to dissect our love for this art form and its people and its history like some rabid poison frog, just no. I refuse to be a coroner. I refuse to say that an art form I care so much about is dead, so long as one great movie or great show or great fucking novel remains to be created. Nothing's dead. Maybe quiet. The heart may be still. There may be no need for a seventh edition of the biographical dictionary. The history of cinema as a cohesive narrative might be over 107 years after it began. That's fine. But the end of a history is not necessarily the end of a story. It could be the birth of something new. I had to see what David Thompson really felt about everything going on. I had to see if there was a way to save this wonderful, ridiculous, inappropriate age gaps, screaming and kicking and fighting and fucking American shit show of a marriage.
We are here at the idyllic residence of film writer David Thompson in San Francisco. Thank you. How are you? Wonderful. Good. So glad to be back <laughs> at the idyllic residence well, of film writer David Thompson in San Francisco. Turn to your right and go straight on. Ah, yes, the familiar. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, this is a different room then. This is a different room, yeah. This is different. If you've got two seats, which one would you prefer? What, you know, what, what, what's your comfort seat? I want you to be the I'd most comfortable. I'll take that one. Okay, take that one. Is that all right? Yeah, that, that's good. And then I get you with, like, the whole, okay. yeah. this, the whole light of the city behind um, you. Here's a, okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, what an interesting... This must be... Is this in a first edition? No, no. It looks like... Oh, old edition. Uh, Across the street and into the, across the river and into these. That's the one that, who is it? Thurber made fun of with the across the street and into the grill. One of the New York. Yeah, ones. a lot of people made fun of the book. <laughs> it, it's not very good. <laughs> Are you reading it for the specific? Um, I was. Yeah. Um, there's a movie of it coming. Oh, there is. Which. I can't believe we'll be any good. Uh, <laughs> there we are. There we are. Yeah. Is there anything that's coming that we believe might be any good? Is the question. Um, nothing I would recommend to you, no. Yeah. Nothing I've seen, you know, yeah. In a while. Yeah. I, I, did you enjoy Another Round last year? The uh, Winter Winterberg, Winterberg. The one with Mads Mikkelsen that won the best for horn Oh, film. right. About midlife crisis. I haven't crisis. seen it. I haven't seen it. I hesitate to say this because it's... It, it, I, no, but I, I actually thought it's good. That's... A, it's about drinking. It's about drinking? Yes. It's a mo more... More about... It's about drinking about. and midlife crisis. Yes. It's, spiritually, it's a midlife crisis. Well, subjects that one can identify with. Well, one that I realized to my utter dismay that for the first time ever I could identify with oh, really? because of the longer yeah. spring chicken and yeah. Uh, what a, yeah, yeah I was I, I was watching it and thinking you know I wish I didn't identify with this movie <laughs> yeah I never saw it I mean I don't see everything anymore but well it's imagine that it won the best foreign film and it won all the European awards and it's all and it's all white people in it so you so, know it's good so I sh I should see it right? you should see it okay <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I don't. I don't say. I would. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, you should see it because okay. honestly, I can't think of another film that's been released since the uh, since the lights went out. Yeah, that has made any kind of mark on me at all. I know. I know. I can't think of. It's been one. a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a really bad time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now I thought of you on Friday because um, a friend of mine. Michael Barker, who uh, a sort of head of Sony Classics, was in town, and he he was shown a film, an Armenian film, mm -hmm. 
you were shown it in town. It's not been released, but they, the, I mean, they were offering it to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess you might know the people. I didn't know their names even, so I can't remember. Did you know the title of the film? I, I'm sorry. I've, I know. I, I'm curious what this is. Yeah. Um, I've been dealing with a couple different. There've been documentaries. The one I told you about when it premiered at TIFF, and it's a long story, which I've had. To, I've had. I can't, I'm not allowed to say in public, but. But anyway, that's my stupid story. But the it's but not stupid at all. <laughs> it's, it's it's just too it's too dark to even yeah, yeah. Know, all all at once. But more to the the larger points, I think the larger things I've been wit- witnessing are very relevant. I, I I feel to the subject matter of sleeping with strangers, and which kind of picks up. We when I was last year, it was twenty seventeen, I believe. Uh-huh. Unless I'm a little bit off. No, that that feels right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. And we, I had, I came and I talked about, and of course, I'd read just about everything you'd written to that point, uh, with a few of the smaller books that I hadn't yet read. We talked about everything. Um, at the time, you had written how to watch a movie and yeah. on acting and television yeah. and. You were taken with, you seemed particularly taken with the idea of how movies have corrupted our, yeah. our minds, yeah. for lack of a better way no, of putting it. No, no, that's, that's the way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do, mm. you, do you, and you know, it felt like, it felt like we were on this cusp of, um, all the things, all the things we we talked about that were in the works in twenty seventeen came to pass. The erasure of memory, yeah. which is now to the point where every week there can be a new. Every week it seems like the entertainment for a certain generation is some new hysterical disaster in the news, yes. which can be simply like deleted on the, yeah. over the weekend and a new one installed the next week. Well, you know, I think that um, I think already people are writing Ukraine off. Oh yeah, well, they. I mean, I mean, it. You know, they recognize or they are told to recognize that they can't do anything about it. In which case, if it if it can't hold its place in the headlines, then it sort of begins to cease to exist. And I'm sure Putin knows this. Well, the pro- the thing is that it that 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 is true. However, the the part of the problem is that it, it didn't exist. It was in, installed in people in the similar way that I mean, it's 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 obviously actually happening. But people's interest in it was learned from a campaign of like memes online and yeah. news coverage such that they don't really have a, an actual connection to this. No. They're just they're just told that this is the the new thing. Yeah. So you see you hear it for 2 weeks, everyone's yeah. excited. Yeah. And then it just that's it because there's no there's no uh, uh, there isn't a real pathway of conviction that is, that is connecting. Not at all. Not at all. No. I agree. And and while Ukraine must seem both exotic and remote to the average American, even European countries that 
might feel more naturally part of their lives because they may have been there. Yeah. I think the same thing would happen. I mean, if, if for the sake of argument, Putin were to say, okay, I've got to have Poland too, because Poland will make me feel secure. I'm not sure that the West, if that exists, wouldn't find a way to go along with that. Well, and really not, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, do you really think that if they make incursions into Poland, NATO will go to war? I mean, it's a, the good thing is that I don't think that's on his agenda. But I'm not in his. I don't live in there. I don't live in his the dacha that is Putin's uh, geopolitical right. mind. <laughs> but, I have the feeling that he's a he's he's a desperate gambler. And he may just make another bet, you know. Anyway. Well, I, yeah, I, and and you know, I think not to not to. You know, I think that he was probably emboldened by what Azerbaijan did last year on a scale which nobody even heard about or cared. Yeah. You know, because who cares about some Armenians living in uh, in, in Karabakh? That's right. So that we do live in a time where I feel because of all the we're so inundated with hysteria that anytime there's something real. People are just their nerves are shot, and oh. they don't they don't have any way to distinguish one thing from another. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's grim. It's grim. But let's 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 <laughs> let's cheer it up. Okay. Um, okay. Let's cheer it up. Well, first, let me see. I I want to think. I want to start kind of like where we left off, and I and wondering whether at the time twenty seventeen. We're talking about, I took some notes from our conversation um, there, one of which is very pertinent, I feel, to the pandemic. I feel like we're, we're, nobody is yet, I'm trying to, but nobody has yet quite reckoned with what has happened to public life since I, this pandemic. I totally agree. I was, I was talking about this over the weekend with some friends, and, and we all feel that we've barely scratched the surface in understanding what's happened. And, you know, we seem to be emerging at the moment, but I think we all feel that there could be another variant any time, and another variant one day could be a lot more serious than the variants we've had. I mean, they've been serious enough. But they're not close to what a real panic We've not had a real real perilous situation and um, <coughs> the thing <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the thing we call lockdown has had an extraordinary effect on <coughs> our minds our hopes um, I asked a very close friend uh, whether he would do an interview with me at a public event in May <coughs> for a book he really likes. And he said... Your books? Yeah, I would. I'd love to do it, but it would have to be virtual. And I said, oh, that surprises me. And he said, well, 
my family have thought about this and we're very, very wary, i.e. frightened. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I want to go out. And this is recent? It was three days ago. Oh, God, okay. Yes. That's very frustrating. And this is a guy, I'm not going to name him, but, but um, you would know him, mm -hmm. and um, you'd be surprised. And I don't think he's anywhere near alone. And I find even in myself, um, we went out, my wife and I went to a dinner party in Berkeley on Friday with old friends and we really wanted to see them and it was great. But um, there was something in me at least that said, you've got to make yourself do this. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got into a habit where you've got a pretty comfortable life living at home. And I'm one of those people who was not unduly jostled or changed by the lockdown. I mean, I basically sit at home all day anyway, writing, and I had done it for years. You're right, right. And I, I was content with that life. So it didn't change too much. Um, it was a little worse for my wife and for my son, who's been living with us. Uh, but even so, I I can feel in myself a kind of um, a reluctance to go out. And it's not that I'm afraid of getting sick. It's not really that, because at my age, I'll live with that chance. It's... It has to do with the whole set of emotional and intellectual and political attitudes that go with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, <laughs> for instance, whereas once upon a time, uh, my wife and I would and did go out marching for political issues. Mm -hmm. um, we went on a big march against Trump, probably was around the time you came here before, mm -hmm. and no second thoughts, and you know, it would it would be at least half a day, and we'd be marching with thousands of people, and enjoyed the feeling of community and everything. I don't think you're going to find people doing that anymore. Now that's a very big issue, because taking to the streets to protest is a huge part of political life. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I've done that a great many times in my life, but some, going back over a long period. And I think that that habit has been seriously undermined by COVID. And you know, we sort of don't think about it in these terms, but everybody on the streets in Kiev and anywhere else is thinking about infection apart from avoiding artillery shells, it, it's, it simply changed our relationship to external reality, I think. I would say that even at a, at a more elemental level than political action, which there was a, you know, there was that strange paradox of all the public officials telling us that we must suddenly, three months into the pandemic, go out for Black Lives Matter protests. 
uh, a strange, strange medical advice was was pervaded there. Uh, that that was a hard one to un, un, unravel. But anyway, the, it does seem that at a more elemental level, there there's a certain like, you know, when I, I'm looking because since I'm not quite, uh, you know, I was I was 34 on March 5, 2020. Yeah. One week before the official, right. I was about to embark on twelve festivals in a row for this movie. I was talking yeah. about. Uh, it, it was going to play all over, you know, European things. Yeah. I went on the flight the day that the thing was shut down. They said, "Come over, no, no, come, come to London," um, and and I had twelve things in a row lined up. I got there, of course, two days later. They they canceled everything and yeah. you have to come back. And I turned thirty five on March six. And now I'm th- and I turned to these thirty seven a week ago. So I've had this like I've skipped leapt. I've had this like oh. endless leap and 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 I've been noticing the public. You know, I I just sort of for the first time ever beca- became more comfortable myself with just going out and having a good time late yeah. at night yeah. in social circumstances before the pandemic. I mean, so I've been really keeping an eye on that element, the nightlife, young people. What are young people doing? Yeah, young people who just got two years of whatever portion of their youth erased. I know. I know. They're fucked up. I have, um, I have three grandchildren who are, have been going through college in these years. And, you know, it's been extraordinarily depressing because so many of their classes have been virtual. So much of the congregation in university and college life that they had looked forward to. The being away from home. Right. 90% of it is that. It's gone. Uh, A lot of the time they've been at home in their room upstairs working virtually. Mm -hmm. Really exactly the way they were when they were in high school. And what that does to the collective mind, how it closes down its sense of horizons and everything, just amazing, just amazing. It it's something I've noticed among Zoomers, which is basically people. There's millennials and then there's Zoomers. I'm the late. I'm the earliest millennial. I'm thirty. I just turned thirty-seven. Uh, Zoomers are like pick. I think I think twenty-five and under at this point is a yeah. Zoomer. So I'm not the perfect expert on this, but I've sort of since I've had nothing to do but be online constantly. I'm I've become up to date right. on all this these this lingo. And I've, I've definitely noticed that in public, it, at, at, when, I've, when I've been to a, a nightlife situation where there are young people, there is a, there's a very obvious um, chill yeah. between, it, between the sexes, but yeah. just and also in general among yeah. the younger oh, yeah. people. Yeah, totally. And, it's, and it, it bothers me because I, I, I mean, I look at you, you you're the very... You're you're such an image of uh, heterosexual libid, libidinous virility, and, and <laughs> Thank that you. you are because I mean, you write. I mean, the way you write about you, to such an extent that you you wrote a book about the gayness of cinema, just yeah. basically just now, which I, we're going to talk about. Um, but a, a less a less heterosexually libidinal uh, thinker would not have the would just not have the stamina or the courage to enter that mm. that's something I've noticed if it's somebody who was in any way iffy about his own um, 
sexual confidence or just 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 comfort level with that subject mm-hmm. matter could d- d- is not capable mm-hmm. of swimming right. into those waters. Yeah. I um I just did a piece Facet and Sound which is on how we think about deciding on our top 10 because they're going to do their every 10 year top 10 this year. Mm-hmm. To and God, it's going to be 10. Very, very, <laughs> yeah. And I wrote a sentence which says, since the last time, 2012, yeah. um, <laughs> so many new pressures have come along so that I feel the pressure to include films made by women, by people of different sexual persuasions, different colors. And I, I just threw in, and why not children? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I thought, you know, I mean, the fact is, children make a lot of films. They shoot a lot of film these days. Yeah. And a film magazine like Sight and Sound doesn't pay them any attention whatsoever. There is no forum, no way in which their work really gets organized. They, they may pass it around to the friends, but it's not beyond that level. Yeah. But I suspect, and I've seen a little bit of it, children are doing some extraordinary things on film, basically because they don't know the old rules. Right. Therefore, they're doing it the way they think of straight away. And the magazine got very alarmed and wanted me, and they still want me to cut that line right. because they think it'll raise protests. <laughs> Please don't cut that line. I, I'm not, yeah, I just leave it in right in there because it's true. Because hey, if we're if we're if we're uh, uh, taking taking role of every single possible yeah. identity yeah. as a factor in this, Take then yeah. babies are got to be part of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but that's part. Of, you know. Oh, um, I, I don't know, I, I'm so exhausted of the, the post, it wasn't, it was, it started before Me Too, but it sort of conjoined this, 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 yeah. the Me Too and the race, and like, and, and they, let's call it the Ava DuVernay school yeah, of cinema. totally, yeah, yeah. What's it like in Los Angeles? Because you live there basically, right? Yeah, yeah. What's it like? Born and raised. Because I haven't been in LA for like two and a half years. I mean, it's it's been mostly zombie land. Yeah. Um, so it, I mean, I, you know, I, I this is my first time here since, not since our last trip, but I was here right before the pandemic yeah. uh, for a friend's graduation at Berkeley. And here seems kind of dead too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a way in which San Francisco, just being San Francisco, kind of has an, you know, it just, it, the, the historic structure of the city upholds it, kind of, no, no matter what horrors yeah. are happening within. Um, and well, L- yeah, go on. Yeah, well, LA is a little bit more, um, I've, become an, I've become obsessed with my own, make, like capturing my own LA story, yeah. which is part of what I'm doing with this podcast, with exceptions, uh, obviously, but. Uh, I've been really thinking hard and come, you know, working on some things to to understand. I grew up there all my life, and I never really started thinking about LA until I realized I'm I'm gonna die there. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not. That's my town, mm-hmm. and it's just like inscrutable, uh, 
Inland Empire, but yeah. by Buddha Notion. Um, and I really started to like L.A. right up until the pandemic. And when the pandemic happened, it just, it, the life of the city drained out really? completely. Yeah. yeah. Which is already a hard life to detect. That the life is, it's not, as we can see, there barely there are barely any films, with the exception of the great ones by PTA. Um, I mean, he's the one. He's one person who I think I know who knows how to get there, to where the life is in LA, including in his lab, which I enjoyed, Licorice Pizza. I too. I like I'm, it a lot. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah. It a, it's a real fucking movie, for one thing. Yeah. Well, I sat there in Westwood, watched it. Yeah, no, seven. I mean, it, it, it's got fantastic things in it. And the woman is enchanting. She is. I mean, the boy is a little edgy, I think. But she is just, she holds the film in place. Yeah, but the boy's, it was his first film, right? I know. Yeah. He, he's okay. He's got know. the jeans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got the jeans, yeah. So where do you live? About, I live in East, I live in Little Armenia, Shockers. Uh, I moved there during, actually at the start of the pandemic, so I was living on the west side before. So, but that's an area, East Hollywood, where I was fairly, very lively for years. Uh, it had really like, I grew up there initially when it was kind of a dump um, in the like early 90s, but in the, uh, it had a reawakening in the 2000s. A lot of people moved in there from all over. It kind of became a hub of like, you know, people pursuing their little comedy careers and stuff. And, mixture of that and old immigrants yeah. but as soon as I got there it just became a ghost town full of homeless people and everything shut down and so on and slowly in the last since June since the first opening was allowed things have started to return right. you still have to find them it's not yeah. just yeah. In a naturally occurring you don't find you don't run into naturally occurring life yeah very often you have to know where to find it you have to go on a quest that's a good title Naturally occurring. Naturally life. occurring life. Yeah. Yeah, which you could argue LA was never the place for naturally occurring life. It's more yeah. of a, yeah. com, you know, it, it, hap, it, it tends to have flourish more in compressed circumstances. But, yeah. Yeah. but it is coming back. You know, my thing is to never give up on a city. Sure. I, I don't, I mean, San Francisco was big in the 1890s, was big in the 1920s, was big in the 1960s. Mm. And then I guess in the 1990s, if we're the dot com shit. You know, very different circumstances. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Get it's, a, it, it, it's it's so different a place though because, first of all, it's much much smaller. It's geographically cut off. It's really an island. It's an yeah. island. Yeah, yeah. And um, in fact, the whole homeless situation has been getting much worse all the time. Yeah. No one has a way to solve it. I don't think there's the resolve no, in, in this no. part part of the world to, to no, solve it. No. And it is yeah. That's become a that's just a, that's its own thing, which is just so demoralizing. Oh, that, yeah. Um, yeah. And and like you know that that'll talk about kill that that'll take the naturally occurring life out of your you right out of it again. Yeah. Yeah. Step. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excuse me. I have these allergies that. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, don't worry. Don't be alarmed. I, um, I'm not alarmed. <laughs> um, um, but about L.A., since I am obsessed with the figure in the carpet of L.A., basically, yeah. I'm curious what your impressions are of L.A., you know, generally, because I haven't really seen you write about it. I've seen you write about... No, I haven't. I, yeah. And um, it's a thing I regret sometimes. Um, 
I, I saw L.A. for the first time in about, about 78. I came out there for Dartmouth to do a big promotional event. And I, I loved it from the first go. And um, I think in a lot of ways, for me, it was like a museum town. Uh, you know, I spent years and I still, when I go there, I find myself going to see places that I sort of know or half know from the movies. And I love that aspect to it. But then something else happened, which was that, um, it dawned on me that there was an extraordinary beauty in the place. And I don't just mean natural landscape, ocean beauty, that, which it, it has, but the neighborhoods, the, the, the gathering and the relationship of the neighborhoods, which I still, I don't feel I've worked out because I've never been a resident there, but I've spent a lot of time there. And we have very, very dear friends who live in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And we've spent a lot of time in their house, which is a great house. And, and you know, they've helped educate us about the city. And I, I'm, I'm very fond of it. I love the way in which it has been giving up being a movie town. Uh, if it were up to me, if I were the mayor or whatever, it would take. I would pull down the Hollywood sign, <laughs> and I would, I would sort of, I would ban the studio tours, and, and I would, I would close the Academy Museum, which I haven't been to, obviously. Um, I, I, I would urge and take every step I could think of to get the city into being Southern California and forget the whole show business tradition, which I think is so bogus now and so destructive to the country as a whole, you know. So I would try to get rid of that, which is insane, but I think you can see the point. I can see the point, but but uh, but I, I see it already happening. Yeah, I, no, it is happening. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's been, yeah. So, I mean, rapidly. Did anybody watch the Oscars last year? Hardly, yeah. No. Why? Who cares? Like, same's going to happen again this year. This year, it's yeah. going to be even worse. The academy is a dead institution, you know, and, and it should be because right? it, it's all based on a silliness. And, and you know what has happened? It's happened so quickly; it's amazing. The country's gone over from being a movie theater-going crowd, although they went much less than they had ever done before, to an audience that wants to sit at home and stream. Yeah, and while there are sort of backward moribund sides to that that one doesn't like, the material for streaming in the last let's say five years is amazing. We're in a golden age of long form television. I'd say we were until you think it's. I think ending? I think I think you know when I was here last. Yes, we were all up in this glow. Yeah, of yeah. Oh, certainly then. Yeah, certainly then it was. I do believe that it. I do believe that it it uh, crossed and it you could be crashed. Right. You could be right right before our eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, that could be. I don't want. I mean, not to cast further gloom, but but that's been another thing. I've that that's been another part part and parcel with the complete lack of interest in. Because I don't think it's just about the you know the movie versus streaming. This is a conversation we've been having for ten years now. Yeah. Clearly, the action is in the streaming stuff. Yeah. And, 
and I, I don't think you, you you cared for it too much. Maybe you've revised your opinion, but I mean, I, I, I was I loved the return of Twin Peaks. Just the fact that it happened, right, right. and 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 that it was so singularly Mr. Lynch, and that he did he really comp- I feel like it was it's a real. Yeah. Like life's work, the return. Yeah. I, I don't know what's your. I mean, I remember we talked about this, and you were kind of iffy about it because we, it, when I was here, it was we were right in the middle of it. Is that right? Yeah, we were like four episodes in, and you were saying that you were having trouble with it. And I think you ended up watching it. I emailed you about it afterwards, yeah. but yeah. I don't know if you've had a second thoughts or or whatever about it. I've never watched the whole new stuff in proper order. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I should, I should make that my duty. <laughs> I, I, I'm a little less duty-bound these days. Right, well, you have a right to just do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was... I appreciated it on, on many levels, and including... It was important to space it out. That's something I realized early on. And it was released, you know, one... They were released one week at a time. Yeah. A few, like, bunched together. But uh, that's how it should have been. Yeah. It should not have been binged, no. in my opinion. no. Which is in itself is a rarity in our it current. Is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do what I feel like has happened with streaming. And there have been shows since then that I like. Certainly, um, it's not that that didn't just end there. But um, for one thing, the the laundry list of you know every every of uh, filters that must be satisfied in terms of representation, I think is taken so much of the piss out it has, of it. It has. Yeah. Yeah. And movies without piss are Yeah. Yeah. They don't smell great. Yeah. The trouble is too that that I'm I'm sure you're right. But I don't see what's gonna come along to be the next step. That's what I wanted to yeah, that's where I, that's where I'm scratching my head. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's I don't know. That's very frightening, very alarming, because it sort of, it sort of indicates that the prospect, the hope of people having some medium and form that can keep them going, uh, it's becoming more tenuous, harder to believe in. It's becoming hard. I mean, one reason I started this this podcast, it felt to me as like a cinema by other means, um, where yeah. it's everything but the images and. I, I'm having the, the type of conversations. Uh, first of all, the thing that sustained me through the pandemic was listening to podcasts because I had all this. I'd walk, walk, walk L.A. I'd walk from the 101 to Silver Lake. Right. My whole radius of around where I live. Right. Endlessly. Yeah. Um, you know, endless solitude and endless and, and having a voice in your ear. Yeah. Not just a voice, but conversations that felt like they were cut out of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Not NPR, highly no, no. produced thing. Right. It, it, it had an... And I noticed that a lot of podcasts in that vein were actually exploded during... The, it's, I'm just, sure. It's been um, a great moment for them. It's been an... So that's, that's one... I know it's a lim, it, it has its limits, but it's... And it's not visual, but it has... It, it's one avenue I've noticed that people... A lot of this desire, hunger has been has channeled. Yeah. Um, how to... Com, how to how to develop that into something that can also work as a moving image in some moving image format is very it? hard to think very hard to think of and where where and how that would be you know presented to the public is yeah. very hard to think of yeah. because i think the thing that you notice about 
I've, I've started to notice about the streaming thing, that it went very quickly, abruptly, and you can trace policies to this as well. Uh, I guess endless spams. Um, very quickly it went from, you know, Netflix throwing money around that to people to do whatever they want to fa- uh, this, this factory, the, these like TV dinner streaming shows all look the same, same cinematography, same... Same treatment of sex and violence in a very lifeless Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just endless amounts yeah. of garbage. Yeah. There are exceptions, but but that's it, it went it very, very quickly it went from it was like they it was a it was a bait and switch. Yeah. They 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 lured us into that yeah. format. Yeah. And now it just became a it just a, just yeah. you know, spaghetti out of a machine. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But we must find hope somehow. I mean, I found hope in just watching old stuff again and having yeah. the time to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know the people at Criterion quite well, and and I had dinner with the head of Criterion a few weeks ago, and you know they have had an incredible boom period. Oh, they! I'm glad to hear that they're oh. seeing oh. the. Yeah, I've I've bought a bunch of Criterion, which is another thing: physical media. Yeah, I've become. We've all become like those cinephiles have become like. Wait a minute! If we don't buy it, yeah. it, it might be gone tomorrow. It might be gone. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they've just increased the number of subscriptions they've sold. Oh Amazing. yeah, amazing! I love their channel. I love yeah. their streaming. Yeah. Uh, their uh, channel the, too. They take on far too many films and far too many bad films. But you know that's inevitable. Yeah, that's fine. But it's still, it's still possible to find more or less what you want to see. Yeah, which is a big thing. Yeah, I'm glad for Criterion. I'm glad that they are constantly putting out new editions of this and that. I'm still waiting for, I don't know if it's Criterion or who's going to put out the Blu-ray for uh, Inland Empire, which I've been waiting for, because the DVD is like out of print, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's supposed to happen. I, there's a lot of things in the balance, you know. Some of those things come in print and then go out of print very fast. Very fast. Yeah, I know. You've got to... Sp- You've got to pounce on them when you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've become I've I've become panther like now in these when, yeah. when yeah. I hear about when some something coming down the pipe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's well, you know. I wonder if have you had? I mean, for me, I've I finally released of the hustle and bustle. I've had this, you know, the spiritual. Uh, time to watch old movies yeah. and to think, you know, old of, all, of any kind. You know, yeah. I had ne- I'd never seen Grand Buffet until the pandemic. I'd mm-hmm. never seen um, a lot of things. I'd never seen Putney Swope, which yeah. I, which I saw in Criterion actually. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you've had any, if you've revi- not revised, but if you've revisited any of the kind of filmmakers that you you'd been enamored with, you'd fallen out with. You kind of go through waves. We were talking about how yeah. your relationship with films like Casino and yeah. several others five years ago. And I'm wondering if you've had any others, any revolutions in that in in regard to filmmakers you've always been thinking about. Well, uh, I've long ago. I found the practice of what I call the Turner Classic Movies practice of yet again sitting down in front of something you've always loved to discover you always love it and still love it 
I, I have a temperament that is inclined to say, well, come on, wait a minute, there's something wrong here, you know. Uh, because I do believe, and I think we may have talked about this before, that without changing a frame, films change over the years. It's because we change. We're seeing different things in them. And as someone who was raised on the church of Hollywood and, and still is a member of that church, although a more skeptical member maybe, um, there's a lot of American filmmaking that I really don't want to watch anymore, you know. And for me, the, the sort of favorite director of all, Howard Hawks, has been a test case because I can easily see how Hawks offends so many reformed modern sexual attitudes. Mm. Uh, and I, I know enough about Hawks to know that that was exactly borne out in his own life and behavior. He was a, he was a rascal. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could say, well, everyone in Hollywood then was a rascal, and there's a lot of truth in that. But still, I, you know, I find, I find films I, I have totally adored, like His Girl Friday, let's say. Yeah. Which has always been one of my favorite films. I see now. Mine too. I see now that it's about a man manipulating a woman endlessly. It's about other things, but. Okay. okay, so it's about a bad manipulation. I know. I, I Guess take, what? I take your view, absolutely. <laughs> I, I said, well, what do you expect? Yes. You know, what has been happening to you in your life? And, and so on. And, uh, but but I have, I've sort of felt I had to make, not an adjustment, but an attempt at, a, at, a, at an adjustment. And there are films classic American films that I, I literally don't watch anymore. Uh, but Hawks, I think, is still a great director, but uh, someone you have to work with and think through in a, in a lot of ways. I don't think there have been any radical reappraisals beyond the fact that, um, with a few exceptions, I find watching Hitchcock now tough, which in part is just because I know the film so well. You've, you're, I mean, you're so, in, yeah, you've, you've written so much about yeah, him. Yeah, and, and I feel I've done him, and, and, you know, I get a little bit uh, jaded, I suppose, when I turn back to him. Is, um, it, because, is it because you just... It's, yeah, I, I've done it too often, you know. And, it's like and, being married to Hitchcock. I mean, to Hitchcock. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um... I, I personally still have a big barrier with silent cinema. I, I, I never loved silent cinema and I'm no closer to loving it. I, I, I know what it has and I'm not minimizing what it has, but the capacity to talk on screen for me has been a huge part of the pleasure. A lot of Hawks is in that. I mean, Hawks is a great talking director. Of course. Um, so, no, I That's don't... That's the erotic charge of His Girl Friday. Absolutely. Yeah. 
people trying to out talk each other all yeah. the time, which is one hundred percent my experience of love and sex. You know? Right. Uh, it's not the doing it; it's the talking. It's about the talking. It. About yes. It. Yeah. And Hawks understands that, and he and happily. He worked in an era when you you couldn't show it, therefore you had, had to talk about it. You had to talk about yeah. it. Uh, which I think is a, a wellspring of what is great about American movies of, say, the 30s and the 40s, particularly, you know. Yeah. Uh, but no, I can't think of anything that... Um, anything that's really... I'm glad, changed. because the day I'm no longer able to enjoy or allowed to enjoy His Girl Friday is yeah. the day I check out. Well, there you are. That, that's... that's Dead right, yeah, I, I think so. And, um, I mean, I, I do find it really depressing reading stuff that is written in the new correctness because it's, un it's unreadable as far as I'm concerned and it's serving no purpose uh, and I hate that. Um, and there again, I, I have found I think you're right that I think it, the stream is declining, but I found shows I really treasured on long form television, from you know Breaking Bad onwards through to uh, 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 Ozark, which I like a lot. Oh, good! I, I haven't. I have to give it a chance. I haven't. Yeah. I think it's a great show. Babylon Berlin. I've it, heard of that. Have you've not seen it? it? I haven't seen it though. Oh, yeah. I really recommend Babylon it. Berlin. Okay. Yeah. Apart from anything else, it's. Germany in the late 1920s and it's made by people who know the films that were being made then inside out so mm -hmm. that you'd you'd get a lot out of it okay I think. and it's really good it's okay really I'll, good. I'll watch it I'm, I'll take any it's really good really good good to know yeah, yeah. Uh, but now I don't think there have been any major major changes I mean you know the um, it it became clear Maybe around the time you came here before. I'm not blaming you for it. You, I'll take the blame. If no, I... no, no. <laughs> it, it became clear that as a publishing venture, there wasn't going to be another addition to the biographical dictionary. So it's got six right. editions. And it's partly because the internet's got so much information. And it would be so big a, a book. And, and whenever a publisher has said to me, well, if there was a seventh edition, what would you do? And when I tell them that there would have to be major entries on, say, Steve Jobs and people like that, mm -hmm. they panic. They panic. Not because they think that's crazy, they can see the point, but they see the book doubling in size, mm -hmm. which is not absurd. And I no longer have the energy to write a book twice that size. Right. You know, I mean, I. I really. You do have boundless energy, as far as I can tell, because you do. I mean, you, you're you're producing books at it. I have a lot of energy, pace. but I know I could do that right. book, and so there's there's not going to be another biographical dictionary of film, which means that, and this is a great relief. I no longer have to think about placing these careers right, in right, kind right. of a reasonably <laughs> academic objective framework. Which was always... In the context of the entire history of cinema. That's right. <laughs> and that was always part of the book that I knew was humbug. <laughs> but now I'm relieved from that pressure, and so I can be sort of much more easygoing about it, you know. Right. And, and that's been... A... You had a great um, 
uh, because I have to my I have not yet acquired. I have my I'm at the fifth edition. I have the fourth and the fifth editions. Yeah. And I didn't. I don't have the sixth edition, perhaps because I was under the delusion that the seventh one was coming. When I last something, maybe it was my fault. I think we may have talked about. We have talked. That. I may have asked you about it. Yeah, so and I thinking. still thought there was a chance, but but that's gone by the wayside. I actually now feel greatly relieved that that chance went by the wayside. Um. So you know. But what I wonder if it's po- I don't want to bring this up because it's pointless. But like, if an edition where they cut out the, you know, the bibliographies yeah. of each. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, which I'm sure you've heard this before. That's <laughs> the like thing we thought about. Tedious. You know, the truth of the matter is, I'm writing a lot, and I'm writing shorter books than I've done before, and I feel at ease with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just don't think I have the physical, intellectual stamina to put together big books yeah. in the way that I did for a certain time. Yeah, so, you know. I mean, it's it's under totally understandable, and you don't need to because, because, it it already. First of all, the history has stopped in a sense for cinema. You yeah. don't need to. We don't need to continue to pretend that we are in the march of history with, yeah. with cinema. Yeah, I, it ended in twenty nineteen. Well, there was, <laughs> and there was an extraordinary period, when. Young people. Really wanted to know the history of film. And I was so lucky because I coincided with it. The dictionary only worked because in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, there were a lot of people in college doing film, which they had never been able to do before, who wanted to know the past. Right. Must have been a beautiful time. Incredible time. It was a fabulous time. And my great good fortune was that I coincided with it. It's not there anymore. I mean, I have a son. Uh, down the end of the corridor, mm-hmm. and and um, he's a bright kid. He's a very good-natured kid. He appreciates what I do, and he loves me for it. But if I said, you know, you really should see so and so, I mean, like like his girl Friday, he would say, Dad, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and um, it's just it's it's gone out of reach. And it's not coming back, and that's okay. And a time will come when the films you and I take for granted still, um, they'll have faded away, you know. Uh, But, you know, I mean, one of the things I sort of came to see in the disaster book was that what we call our culture, humanism, whatever you want to call it, it is such a scratch mark. On yeah, the, you, you know, on the whole line of history. The Oakwood table that the you... The table, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just so infinitesimal. Yeah. We shouldn't take it too seriously. Uh, so. But we shouldn't be afraid either to climb to the rooftop and scream its glories to any who would listen. Because well, I agree. nothing I, has replaced it. No, nothing has replaced it. That's the thing. I agree. And I still, I still try to write about things I love, you know. And uh, uh, that's all you could do. But, but you know, I mean, I I can remember lecturing to two or three hundred people, kids, who were just writing down everything I said, and probably going to see a lot of the films I talked about. Mm-hmm. That's never going to happen again. You know, I mean, a lot of people, uh, with absolute conviction, 
will tell you that if I tell them to watch a black and white film, no. yeah, forget it. Well, they have to be brain. You know, there are there are some of us out there. I've I've only learned this during the pandemic and having all this time to look around and see what. Am I, you know, am I crazy? Am I the only, you know, when I came here, I was thought I, I came here, I was like the only person my age that I knew of who cared about the same movies that you cared about. Yeah. And, that I, and, and I've since discovered that though there are, there are some other people out there yeah. and they have been expressing themselves and, and they, they are quite persuasive because to younger, to people, let's say in the early twenties, I mean, even younger than your son is. What about his... 26. 26. So, okay, well, yeah. So, basically, your son's age, or even younger, mm. who, due to the absence of anything other than, you know, the most uh, flash-in-the-pan, uh, you know, social media type of content, yeah. they don't really have... They've never been imbued with a, um, uh, a reverence for literature or cinema by education no. or by anyone around them. No. So when they encounter someone who's screaming from the round, from the rooftop, it does have an effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It has to be. Un- I feel like you have someone in your generation has this unfortunate, but understandable modesty, which is that you have to feel you have to constantly be like, oh, I don't want to be a crank. I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be a. Uh, I don't want to be a fuddy duddy. I don't want to pretend that. I don't want to act as if I'm not that. You know. Uh, gen- uh, I know everything and history ended with me and I understand that but sometimes it's true sometimes it, history has ended with you and sometimes you have to uh, you have to unleash tyranny upon the young lest they be led down the path of nothingness yeah yeah well yeah <laughs> I'll I help mean, I'll help I mean for me at the moment and I, I'm sure this is going to last what's left of my time the pleasure I get in writing and working ideas out and shaping a book, the, which is a, a very selfish pleasure compared with the idea of going into a lecture hall and teaching people about the history of film. But still, that's where I am. And, and you know, that is probably another uh, consequence of lockdown. That, that, that you become more introspective. Yes. And you're thinking about what you're thinking about more than what other people will take of it. Right. Um, so... Have you, so have you retained your, uh, ple- that pleasure of thinking out a book and has, have those pleasures... More than ever. More than ever, right? Yeah. Which is a good thing to hear. Cause it's, it's intensified. And... and some of the stuff I've been doing lately has given me more pleasure than anything. Something coming up, or just overall the books? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll send it to you if you're interested. Um, I am. Do you know Suspects and Silverlight? Uh, Suspects is your novel, yes. which I is the one book of yours that I've, m- m- especially now, given what I'm trying to do with L.A., I really want to read. Well, uh, I would say this... Um, Wait until the new. There's a new edition, or what? No, Suspects and Silverlight are coming back. Okay. What's Silverlight? I'd rather. Silverlight, um, Suspects. Is a play upon film noir. Right. Silverlight, is a play upon the western, and they were published in. Eighty-five and ninety. These are both novels. 
Well, Ish. they're more complicated than that, but they are, yes, they're works of fiction. Mm -hmm. Now, I've done a new book called Connecticut, which does the same kind of thing for screwball comedy. For screwball comedy. Now, the three books together are probably the, the work I'm proudest of. I'm now, Connecticut has not even be pub been published yet. Right. So, uh, I'll send that to you. Send it to me. I want to read all three together, basically. Well, you probably should, but you, you could read Connecticut on its own. But I want to read all three together. I want, I've been, because I've been anxiously, just specifically for the way in which I've been, for this, the way I've been thinking about L.A. I've well, Suspects is a very L.A. book. Yeah. Actually, so is Silver Light, to a degree. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, just to describe the situation, because as I recall, Suspects is a, is a book of, in which the characters from film noirs, uh, from the films, yes. ha, are, are, their lives be after the movie, are so, awakened. Yes, yes. And, they, and, and then they begin meeting each other. Not all of them meeting all of them, but, right. but new strands of narrative <clears throat> come into play as a character from one film meets a character from another film. Right. It's fair. Yeah. I, I, I want to come back after I, after I have okay. the, the, the trilogy <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. do it all about, talk all about the trilogy alone. Um, not, the tri not that it's a trilogy. Well, I, I, you know, I mean, who knows? You don't always know what you're doing, but <clears throat> I think it's, I think the trilogy is the best thing I've done. That's, 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 I'm great. That's great to hear because it's so different from, it's different and yet not different because I was going to say, you know, everything... I'm not an expert on kale, and I'm not an ex. I've read all of the film criticism, but I'm. I, I, I've read all of A. Is it, how do you pronounce his name? James Agee. James Agee. Agee. Okay. Agee. Agee. Yes. Who, I feel like Agee, similar to you, is a writer writing yeah. about movies as a writer. Yeah. Writer's writer about the movies type. Yeah, of and he was a very dissatisfied man in, the, in that he worked in many different forms of writing, and never really fixed upon one thing and did what James Agee was supposed to do, Right, you know. Uh, and, and I feel much the same myself. And I, I find him sympathetic altogether. He was a sort of a moody, de de depressive who went after women, you know, so... Well, there are certain we, things we have in common. We can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's a, he's a remarkable man, and... He was a mess, but a very talented man and an amazing commentator on films, considering when he was doing it. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And and you clearly he's an influence on you, but you were also very intimate. We didn't talk about this last time, so that's why I'm talking about. I want to bring it up now. But your kind of connection to Pauline Kael, you were were you not in the same? Were you not of in any way related to her? No, no, no. I um, I did not like her at all personally. Um, many people felt that, but only a few say it, because she ex exerted enormous power, and there were times when she blocked my career. Oh. I, don't, I don't hold it against her. But, you know, I would. Well, it's, it's, over. <laughs> it's over. It was yeah. a long time ago. Um, I admired her. I, I liked a lot of her writing. I think she was an important figure. No doubt about that. Uh, personally, I, I couldn't stand her. Was her? Do you care to elaborate on why? I mean, I have. I'm sure there's a lot out there. Well, she was a bully. 
and 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 she wanted she wanted you to take the gospel from her and pass it on and you know i i felt i was not inclined to do that for anyone i mean you know uh i mean jesus gave me the gospel and i thought well okay here and there i like it but mm -hmm. i have mixed feelings and 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 she was a I don't know, what should I say? Probably going to, no, it's too late to get into trouble with this. I found her a very unappealing person. She was a bully, she was a rather spiteful. Um, she wanted, she, she was into power, and she, she sort of discovered quite late in life that she had this power at the moment we were talking about because she became the key decisive film critic. And she could make or break careers, which she did. And um, I just, I just liked that side to her very much. And, uh, that she relished this power. Hmm? That she, do you dislike that she relished? She this? relished it and she used it. Whereas I think that she should have been very apologetic about it and deflecting about it. You know, I mean. Um, do you think she used it? Um, you know, do you think that she used it unjustly, or or was she doing what she thought? You know, I mean, did you, was she spiteful with with this power? Because that's something I always wonder about people who. I think power is usually unjust sooner or later, because you're exercising it for its own sake. I mean, she wanted the world to agree with her. Um, whereas I have never felt the least interest in having people agree with me. Um, when I was teaching, I, I tried to encourage students to just to dispute what I was saying and to come up with different things. And I've, I feel temperamentally I'm very open to that. I don't think she was open to it at all, uh, and um, I think it limited her terribly. Oh, also, she never found any way to write, really, except reviewing films. And I felt for myself early on that reviewing films was a very narrow way to go. I felt that there were things to be said about the medium, about it's fantasy life and things like that. All of which are in this uh, trilogy. Mm -hmm. I felt they were more interesting than whether you gave the rules of the game an A or an A plus. You know, I mean. Yeah. Well, the thing about your writing that that about movies that has always appealed to me above and beyond anyone else's um, is the way in which you. It's 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 really you mix a lot of genres um, in how you approach. It's it's part. It's always part memoir. It's always part. It's always part novel in a way because you're 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 constantly perceiving everyone involved in the making of a picture as a character, yeah. and you're speculating about your your characters. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. you know as a as a writerly brain myself, it's right up my alley. I mean. Yeah. And you're constantly wondering. 
you're constantly questioning the limits of the frame. Yeah. Versus, you know, as it's a, it's just, it's a much more, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know which character in the Bible to liken it to, but one of them, you know, one of them. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's something about it that covers so many different genres. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always felt that, that the way in which in school, one was encouraged to review or judge a novel. Simply didn't work with films because, um, I don't know, let's say, take a film, take a film like Rebel Without a Cause, which I don't think is a great film, but because I saw it at the right time. It was a tremendously important psychological experience. And I can't talk about Rebel Without a Cause usefully without drawing upon the way I really wanted to, and did, take the three leading characters home in my imagination and dream and daydream about them and sort of go to bed with them. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that what films do to us through our fantasies is just so important, so vital. And, and um, fantasy is a, it's a very uh, uniting thing. Um, two people may go to see a film and A may have a very much more developed intellectual response to it than B. A may be capable of writing a much better review of it. But B, in his head, may be every bit as much caught up with the characters and the situation through fantasy as A. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always thought that that's a remarkable thing about film. And, and it's, it struck me, certainly in my teens, there I was being educated in really what was a very elitist form, which was to say, well, I'm going to give you this novel to read, and implicitly you should understand that in giving it to you, I am saying, I think you are good enough to like this novel. Right. In other words, I'm, I'm drawing you into an elite. Right. And the end of the elite is the pinnacle of academia, where a few people understand Ulysses right. and the rest can go to hell. Right. Well, the thing I loved about the movies was, I go to see Rebel Without a Cause, let's say, mm -hmm. packed theater, big theater, and everybody was intensely involved in it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who were intensely involved with it, I could see when I walked out into the lobby afterwards, they were not my kind of people. Right. You know, they were not sort of people. Riffraff. Well, or, sure. Yeah. You know, I really didn't go to a good school like I did. Right. And <laughs> I don't think we could have talked about it. Right. But I trusted and I believe and I still believe that they had a connection to the dream in the film as good as I had. And if film ever loses that, it's over. The great thing that film did, sort of around 1900, was to say, look, I know 
you can't read Henry James. In the way I can read Henry James. I know you can't listen to Marla in the way I can listen to Marla, but I've got something for you. Yeah. Raw, sensationalist, melodramatic, gorgeous. Grand. That can move you as much as it moves me. Yeah. That's the key to film, I think. You know. You're reading my mind because I just... It had just occurred to me maybe three, two days ago when I was thinking about how obsolete the question of is cinema an art? Yeah. Which, you know, for a hundred years we've been, writers have been sort of dusting that off and sure. addressing it because, and comparing it to not, you know, in which, given what we've, given what we're living in now, where, where we'll take art any goddamn place we can find it. It's such an obsolete question. Yeah. And the part that makes it obsolete, the part that makes it a non-starter for me is simply that just as it, up until the present moment, there is a category of movie that leaves its mark, that, that sculpts in some way, deepens everyone who watches it. Yeah. And like if you talk to someone who say, yeah, oh yeah, I, I seen, oh yeah, I watched... Uh, Magnolia or whatever, like you know, I don't want you know, fill in the, sure, fill but, in. be a rebel with a cause, um, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, yeah, yeah, uh, fill if it's a kind of at a certain level, not if it's a not if it's a Marvel movie, you know, not to bitch no, about Marvel, no. but it's just it has to be a certain kind of movie or above, yeah, and it's the simply it's a fact that if they have seen it, you you have a kind of bond between. That's right, that's right, and you know, the the great thing about American film is that over the years it put together a number of films like that that truly anybody could get. And that doesn't mean they all got exactly the same thing out of it, but in their day, uh, intellectuals and hobos could see City Lights get the same feeling. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are films... Casablanca, I guess, Chinatown, you know, some like it hot, some films like that, that just, sort of everybody still knows them. Yeah. And that's precious. And it's a very American thing. Uh, it, it's, American is an interesting, I didn't even think of it as very American, but it, yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it's, it's the manifestation of the idea that if you, if you come here, You've got as much chance as anyone else. That's a that's a fallacy. You don't. But as a hope, right? It's a very real thing. Right. It is a real thing. And, and, and you know, I mean, there are films that that that. And here I'm really revealing my limitations or whatever. But a few weeks ago, Chelsea and Liverpool played a game of soccer. Right. In which no goals were scored in regular time or extra time. <laughs> Only in the penalty right. shootouts. One of the great games of all time. Really? Now, is it a work of art? No. Right. Is it human beings at the absolute limit and maximum of their endeavor? No. Yes. Now, that's a, that, that's a thing. That's close to a work of art. Yeah. Was it something that millions of people watched because it was seen on television all over? Well, it was shown in America, too. I mean, huge audience. Yeah. Uh, yes. 
will the many of the people who saw it remember it? I think they will. Yes. You know, I mean, we're very close there yes. to defining what we would like to say you get out of a work of art. Uh, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on the connection between. I mean, for, for it, and the kind of art it is, it's, it's very much like a cinema art. Yeah. The sports because first of all, you're watching it. Yeah. And and secondly. It's it's suspenseful, yeah. and you don't know how it's going to end. That's right. Even more so than cinema, you don't know how it's going to end. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 it, it's got these wa- you know these narrative waves and yeah. momentum and dramatic oh. momentum. I mean, yeah. people talk about momentum as a fallacy, but no, dramatic momentum is a thousand, oh. thousand oh, yeah. percent real. And tremendous audience involvement because huge audience. There are fifty thousand people there at yeah. the game. They change the 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 gambling odds of the game. Absolutely. And, and they have an effect the, that's objective. And their response to the game inspires players in the way applause in a theatre can inspire actors. You know? Right. Uh, and um, the way laughter inspires a yeah, comedian. A, a, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those things are. I'm with you. Th- yeah, and and that's exactly the the com- the democratic brotherhood. Yeah. Of sports and movies. Yeah. Is. Very American, even though this is not an American sport. But yeah. in here, it's like the two things we've always been able to talk about since 1920, uh, and sports a little bit before then. But you know, even sports was a 20th century phenomenon. Yeah, as absolutely, mass media is what made sports sports. Yeah, yeah. And 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 like the the, the confluence of being a lo- of the live audience with the the one sitting at home. Yeah, uh, is the dem- that's you know, I mean I've always been a I've I've never I've never I've always wanted to I was sports before I was anything. And I never wanted to give that up as much as, as art and intel, you know, literary and cinema right. uh, infected as I became um, in high school. I, I just instinctively did not want to give up this, this thread that, that, that is not a phantom thread. Right. No, right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I do think it's real. And I think that, and I think it's, it's beyond, it's beyond quite a doubt Sometimes you just have to be told, because if I do believe, for example, like Rebel Without a Cause, I don't think it has the impact now that no. any other film from that time that we care about does. I mean, any Hitchcock is going... I think Rebel Without a Cause is boring as hell if you just watch it afresh today. Sure, yeah. Yeah. But if you know about all of the yeah. all of the sexual stuff going on behind the scenes right. and in everyone's heads who watched it... Then it really it, comes to life, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And which and you know I I mean when I saw it I was fifteen I guess you know um, what you see I may have said this to you before it's not an original thought but what you see between the ages of about four and sixteen that's it you may grow up to be smarter and wiser and you may look back on the films that moved you in that period and say well. They're not really very good. Mm-hmm. They're mediocre. And you can tell yourself that, but the you inside you will never give them up. No, right. They will always have that power over you, you know. And you will remember the kind of place and context and who you were with sometimes when you saw the films. Right. Big, big part of it. Which is yeah. why I feel like, you know, I think it, it, this is a pedagogical point, but... Um, given given that the given that the uh, that the image is not going anywhere as a 
as a form of I mean now it's just become it's just become accelerated to the point where it's a million little clips that are right. addicting little kids. Right. All very frightening, but I do believe that at least I I do I believe that it's like mandatory that like classical cinema education should be taught from kindergarten on because if you're going to be inundated with images, it's like you were saying in that in your book five years ago. Uh, if you're going to be inundated with images, uh, then at least know what they're supposed to be doing to you and how they've been. You know, like it's a it's a at this point it's a matter of almost biological history. Yeah. Totally, and you know, I mean, I mean, all the all the powers that are inherent in a cut are absolutely vital to the way our discourses proceed, and kids are never taught this. You know, they should be they should be shown Bridget Bardot in in the beginning of what's the movie by what's his name Contempt. Uh, Contempt. They should be shown that scene that 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 ex that. Uh, uh, a redundant scene that was what added by him at the end as a fuck you. Well, what's, what's the story? That, that no, he, no. It, uh, it, the truth is that when he signed on for that film with Bardot in it, he was told there has to be a nude scene. Right. And I think he was told, you know, you can have that near the end, so it's a climax. Right, right, right. And he, he makes it the first thing the film, just <laughs> yes. to get it out of the way. The best move of all time, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's and it's and it's just perfect. I mean, you know, her yeah. full body thing. It reminds. I think I feel like the the shot of what's her name in Inherent Vice seemed like an homage to that. There's a nude shot of the beautiful one in Inherent yes. Vice. Yes, and it kind of has a similar like the yeah. way he kind of just has her whole body and yeah. thing. One of the great things about watching Addison films is is that feeling that he. He knows the history. Yeah. You know, which is, he doesn't push it in your face. He doesn't say, unless you know that reference, you're going to miss the point. It's just there if you do know it. That's it. It's, I love that. There's that, it's that, it's, it's there if you do know it, but it's also like, it's there because, by the way, this is, this is fundamental. Yes. To the land, this is what, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. so, th and here's why. Yeah. Look at the bot. Here's <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. you're never going to get tired of this, yeah. yeah, unless you talk yourself into it because well, it's yeah. wrong. Sure, it's wrong. It's this, it's that. Yeah. You know, yeah. boo-hoo, exploitation. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. But this brings me to sleeping with strangers, which yeah. So last time I was here, you said, you said that the movies taught you how to love. Yeah. You said those words. You taught you what that you were taught what love was yes. by the movies, yes. and that's such a it's a touching thing to consider now, given how you know where where are people getting any, any sort of idea of what love is now, young people or any or or middle aged people. Uh, well, I mean, through hectoring admonitions. Through well, social I media. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's so interesting because what we're talking about is such a fundamental thing, and yet again, it's never talked about. I mean, I, I dare say you had a similar sort of education to the one I had, but at a certain age, I guess thirteen or so in what was called the biology class, we were taught 
the reproductive system of the rat. In other words, a rat was dissected and its sexual organs were shown and there were diagrams on the board and it was explained to us that that's how rats copulated and produced their young. Well, I remember thinking at the time, I can't believe this is going on. And I didn't dare ask, and nobody dared ask, do you mean, sir, that's what humans do too? <laughs> but What's the message here? Well, and of course, there was not the least suggestion in the education that the copulation was preceded by or was a demonstration of an expression of something that some people call love. It was simply presented as the urge to reproduce. Well, that in itself is insane because most people who fuck do not fuck to reproduce. No. They're actually hoping <laughs> we won't reproduce. Right, right, right. They've got their fingers crossed. They're fucking for the sensation. Yeah. And my school didn't dare say that. I don't know whether yours did. But... It just didn't dare get into it because the teachers would be embarrassed to talk about this, yeah. you know. And I was never taught what love was. I sort of picked up from the movies and from reading novels that people got these feelings for each other. And I could understand that because I was getting them for people too. But I had great confusion then and still have whether... I love these people, or whether I just wanted to have sex with them. And you know, therein is a huge sort of moral pressure that, well, you shouldn't really have sex with anyone unless you love them. Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure my mother said to me mm -hmm. at certain times. And my mother's life might have been a great deal happier if she had not followed that rule herself. <laughs> <laughs> because she ended up marrying a man she love for a very short time mm. which is not un uncommon even now you mm. know but we are not educated to know the relationship between love and sex and of course in a way that completely has changed now compared with the education i had kids have pornography mm -hmm. The impact of which is so staggering that no one really dares address it directly. No, they don't dare press it. But the prop, but you know, I, I, it goes beyond to me pornography, which you know clearly there's a medical issue with, like the, the presence of pornography of, to five-year-olds. But, or, but, but that to one side. Our overall inability to be at all, like at a at a at a institutional level, I guess. Well, that's a beautiful hardcover of in Nevada. Um, I just noticed on top of your shelf. Um, uh, the our inability, our inability to be candid about, or or frank or honest about the realities of sexual desire, especially where women are involved, is crippling i think yeah. to our civilization yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and, so, and that to me is a much bigger problem than pornography because pornography can be pornography can be put into context yeah even if it can't really be uh uh hidden or right. you know yeah. moderated but it can be put into context what can't be 
what 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 goes haywire is when the reality of sexual desire is denied yeah. and replaced with various other uh, kind of passions and obsessions, right. such as that for, puni- for for punishment, for social justice, for you know for 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 alarms about this or that thing happen you know for plagues for everything like all of these things are replacements for sexual desire that is not being properly assessed by that's people right. that's right yeah. that's what i feel is the problem right now yeah. well my wife and i last couple of nights we watched a series the andy warhol diaries do you know about this oh, I've, j- I've heard of it vaguely is it good no it, okay it's a very overdrawn it's four episodes where no, it's six episodes where it could have been two. That that's the new streaming habit, by absolutely, the way. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. there was something very interesting in it because it goes through the whole AIDS period, mm-hmm. and we were watching it last night and talking about it. And the series shows the AIDS period as congruent with massive homosexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. No one ever says if there had not been the AIDS virus, what's wrong with promiscuity? Mm-hmm. If people want to have sex, they probably want to have sex a lot with a lot of different people. We are still, in our so-called enlightened stage, conditioned by a certain kind of moral precept which says, well, you shouldn't have sex with too many people because, you know, you're dealing with love here and love is very precious and very important and you only love a few people. Well, suppose you love a lot of people. Was there so? I feel like there's a lot. That's almost a line in a movie. I suppose you love a lot. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And and um, we still there's there's so much in this area we haven't come to terms with. You know. I am all in favor of loving a lot of people, and anything is better than loving nothing. That's my thing because that's where I feel like we've been cornered into, and yeah, it hasn't been the the uh, the typical sort. The puritanism hasn't come from the the advertised sources. It's come from all these other sources. That's right. And when I'm reading Sleeping with Strangers, which, which there are many things I would love to talk about in that book, but one thing that I feel like even you're kind of with a gun to your head by your publishers forced to do is anytime a certain scandal arises from the past um, involving a young ingenue being exploited by you know, Nicholas Ray or whoever, my thought is, when I read these scandals that are, you know, fake, some more or less ambiguous, my thought is, there were horny people on both sides. That thought is not permitted to be factored into the equation. I know, I know. You're absolutely correct. And I, I wouldn't put the blame for some shyness in the book on the publisher. It was in me. I mean, I still, I'm still raised to a feeling, not a law quite, but a principle of life, 
that you treat people decently and honorably and you try to make sure that you love someone you're having sex with. Whereas intellectually, I'm not at all sure what that is saying. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a somewhat uh, abnormal perspective on this, being of the, uh, of the uh, who should I liken myself to, the George Cukor persuasion. Right, right. <laughs> and so I have to, I have like, and, 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 and but not, not in the typical sense, it was very late, a late realization, right. like in my 20s. Probably born of, you know, theories about what causes this are all over the map. Yeah. I, I, at the, it, the odds that I was infected just as much by a combination of the erotic uh, verba, uh, verbalism of His Girl Friday, watching uh, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and, and finding Elizabeth Taylor the number two attraction in it, and watching Streetcar in the same year at 18. I, all these things probably affected me. Sure, of course. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I mean, I mean, one thing I do talk about in the book, and I think to talk about fairly, was that, that whatever the rules were, whatever the sort of rating system on a film was as to whether you could see it or not, it was there and it was happening. And this is, it's a medium which at the same time says to you, look at the men, look at the women, aren't they both equally attractive? You know, and yeah. or really that had not happened before. Yeah. And nobody knew it was happening then. No one was in charge of it. Although I think the people who did costume and makeup, shall we say, were closer to it than anyone. I found in the research I did that those were some of the sharpest minds on those films. I mean, people like Travis, Bantam, the dress designer mm -hmm. at Paramount, I think he knew exactly what was happening. You know, more than say the director right. did right. sometimes. Certainly more than the actors did sometimes. Right. You know, and and Adrian maybe might another yeah, one in that. Category. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the group of them. But of course, then there grows up the stereotype that you can't do costume design for a film unless you're gay. Right. Which again is a sillier saying. Right. You can't do cinematography unless you're a man. Right. You're a man. Which the thing about the thing about the gays is that when they're being who they're supposed to be and not this current new, right. now you know over tolerated uh, can't you know, eternal Disneyland version of being gay, but when you're being what you're supposed to be, slight you're you're kind of forced to have to be a little bit furtive, a little bit sly, a little bit sharp. Notice things other people aren't noticing. Yeah. One thing you, you, you notice that nobody, and this is something, like, when you talk about your own innocence and, and whether it was at the gun of the publisher in the light of Me Too when your book was, I mean, the, the, the timing of it, it. It was before Me Too. It was before. Well, you wrote it before Me Too, but then you had to add yeah, certain yeah. things. That was going on at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. I and, and I've never and unfortunately I'm not familiar with your friend James Toback. Is that his yes, yes. But man, am I interested now after reading after reading your chapter on him, I am a new. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, mean, <laughs> I, I I said what I could say about him in that chapter, but, but that was something you had to add. It it forced you to add in, right? No, 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 oh, no, no that was already no, in there. No, 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 no. I I I I wanted that in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Is he is did the book that you mentioned he was writing his memoirs? Did that did he complete this? As far time? as I know, it's never been completed. And if it were, I think he'd have a terrible hard time getting it published because he's such a he's such a pariah now. Yeah, they didn't forgive him for being for not being uh, a beautiful, a beautiful uh, horny man. They 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 just don't forgive you if you. Yeah, yeah, he he behaved badly too, very badly. But he had behaved badly all his life, right? And then, quite late in life, the circumstances changed where behaving badly suddenly brought. Suddenly and all of a sudden, rebuke down on you. Yeah, but you know, a lot of us behave badly, and of course, including the ones, including the ones launching the, the the knives during Me Too. Yes, one of them behaved so badly that one year later she herself was Me Too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but you know, you can't tell people how to behave without guaranteeing they will misbehave. Right. That's in human human and social nature equally. So rebel with the cause. Yes. Yeah. They'll rebel without a cause, let, let alone you give them a cause. Right. Right. So. Yeah. 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 But but the thing that the thing that I noticed in just in general life, which is something that I, I think the gig to dress designers of the forties of the of Hollywood probably put into practice in their craft, is simply that that nobody is willing to acknowledge from straight straight world the the reality of women in a sense of like there's a certain fairy tale idea of women that is preserved at every turn by straight men almost all including the so-called no 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 male misogynist can come close to the misogyny of the average woman uh, and in her knowledge of and wariness of other women and I feel like this is this is one of the biggest missing things from all this even going back to I mean from all eras but Especially now, and one sees it, when one sees it, the truth revealed in the form of a beautiful, in form of a particularly, you know, just in the form of a of a character such as the screwball. I mean, that's what I you see for with his girl Friday. I don't believe that Cary Grant, uh, whatever his name is in the movie, is doing all the manipulating. I believe that Rosalind Russell okay. is holding her own. Yes. And no. she doesn't want to end up in fucking Albany. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> you know, yeah, we know yeah. that. No, no, I agree with you com- completely. And you know, I mean, the genius of Corpse, in part, consists of looking at that material, because it was originally about two guys, and saying, I think it works better if one of them is a woman. And I'm not sure which one has to be the woman, but, it, you know. Yeah. And that's when he turned it around. And the, the front page... Although it's said to be a classic now, it's pretty dull. Actually. Pretty dull. I couldn't watch. I, I, well, it was partly because of how horrible the uh, the print is. Yeah. God, I hope this jackhammer doesn't uh, invade our entire. Oh, thing, but I'm. But whatever. I'm sorry. They're gonna have to. They're just gonna have to take it as. A, oh, yeah. Um. Uh. uh the, the 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 yeah no the front page I couldn't the the, the cut the print was barely audible. Yeah. What I whatever DVD of it I saw at once. Yeah. And it, like I haven't read the the Ben Hecht play, but yeah, it can't good. measure up. It's it's not very good. No, no, no. I, I that movie is just the fact that I mean it's got so many great lines. I mean the the line where he's saying you know divorce is meaningless these days, just some words on a page, on yeah. in front of a judge, right. and yeah. 
And just like also when she says, this maybe only appeals to me, but when she's going through this thing and she says, Rooster Story, put that in human interest. I don't know, that tickled yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great, great film. Uh, <laughs> and the, the fact that it broke the record of speed of talk yeah. uh, was great. It's a but you know, statistic. I've, I've shown it to students, not recently, but not that long ago. And they could not keep up with it. They couldn't hear what was being said because somehow their mind could not take in the dialogue at that speed. Mm. Very interesting. Got to be strapped to a chair. You got to put the clamper, the, the <laughs> clockwork orange clampers on. That's right. And just until they think, they learn That's right. and get it. Yeah. Because that is not a pleasure you should go without in your life. No. The pleasure of Howard Hawks. Yeah. Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell. Yeah. His Girl Friday. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you, you take a film like The Big Sleep, you will still find people who say, oh, it's a thriller, it's a mystery film, mm -hmm. it's a film noir. And if you try to say, no, it's a scruple comedy. Yeah. They have a real trouble adjusting to it. Yeah, well, you know. But that's what Hawks did. Yeah. I mean, most of his films are comedies. And the more serious he gets, the worse he gets. Trying to think of a serious version. Well, Red River is serious e, but that's yeah, pretty but great. It, it, yeah. But it's still it's screwball. It's a screwball male comedy. Yeah, that's right. Oh, and I just and 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 you know thinking of of uh, a Clift uh, in that movie. Yeah. Of Montgomery Clift, you had a great line. I'm trying to, um, where you where you wrote about when he when he had this his. His visible anguish with his own sexuality yeah. is really what made him attractive. Because if he, if he was alive today, he would be the most annoying faggot you've ever oh, met. Awful. And apparently in real life, he was pretty much like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So I guess he got, wor he got worse as he got comfortable with his, or whatever, with his... Well, he had this terrible accident, too, you know. Oh, that's right. Rush. I think that, that devastated him because... I think the way he looked had been enormously important to him, as, as is reasonably so. Yeah. Yeah. If you look, I mean, you have yeah. that. Yeah. It would be important. Your job is to be looked it at. It sure would. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I. <laughs> um. Something that I really appreciated with Sleeping with Strangers is the way in which I. I mean. The way in which you took the took it serious. I wonder, first of all, to what degree this book was a way of understanding your friendship with your Irish friend, Kieran. Is that yeah? Um, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's been he's been dead a long time, and I I I think about him a great deal because he really laid down a. A structure for conversation that I still sort of employ talking to myself. Um, when we first got together, he had a girlfriend. He asked her to marry him. He was apparently looking forward to that kind of life. I had no inkling that he was gay, but that was probably just my immaturity, my stupidity, that I didn't see it. You know, one had had, in the world I grew up in, one had had much less experience of gay people. So I didn't pick up on it. 
But maybe I, he hadn't picked up on it. Either. I don't think he had. So you no. can't blame yourself on that. No, kind of no, I'm not blaming myself. But yeah. I'm just saying that it was sort of, it was a very different time, and we were obsessed with film. And then I got married and had children, and uh, he became a sort of godfather to the children. So it was a continuation, a very happy continuation of the relationship. And then he went back to live in Ireland, and that's when he sort of came out of the closet and became a very active figure in the gay rights movement in Dublin, which was not an easy place to be at that time. Was he also active in the gay wrongs movement? I mean, was he a was he a promiscuous type in your, in your as far as you understood? I think he was more promiscuous than I was. Well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. which is not a. I mean, I know that. I, yeah, you're not yeah. chopped liver, but no. but the gay world is just out of it. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think yes, he 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 was promiscuous, um, but he died too young. I mean, we would have. We would have gone on talking for at least another twenty years, maybe longer, and it would have it would have changed my life, I think, to have had him there as a as an ongoing friend. And I, I think he would have said the same. I I I had never written about him at any length and I really wanted to and I thought this book was the place to do it. And and um a few of his friends were grateful for it and complimented it but you know I don't know it, it's uh, a lot of what I do in shaping a book is very emotional I don't work it out so that I know this fits and we'll work together it things are things are there they're cut together for emotional reasons very often and, and I felt that that in doing it, I felt that had to be there in the book, just as they felt the piece on Topak. Well, they, I feel like these are the bookend friendships. That's how I saw it. Yeah. That, that's exactly how I saw it. And they were, they were two absolutely different people, uh, and very isolated in their way because of the context in which they lived and their behavior. Uh, but anyway. How do you feel, I mean, when you speculate as to how your life might have been changed by continuing to talk to him for 20 years, which to me is, this is, this is, you know... He was a very, um, he was a very good literary advisor to me. He did not write himself very much, but he read what I wrote, and his comments were always not just useful, but unexpected, and... and he helped shape the dictionary a lot. Uh, and, you know, he would say things like, there are certain entries that are dull because you're not, you're not sort of caught up in them. But then you come to a person who really works for you and it flowers. And he said, you want to let it flower more, even maybe to dropping some entries and taking in others. Um, stuff that I didn't see and where his advice was enormously uh, valuable and, and I think that would have gone on. I think that when my first marriage ended he, because he loved my wife too and was very good with her and loved those kids from that marriage very well. I think that I think that it would have um, 
it would have made that break gentler and easier. Mm. He he would he had a quality that was people said were early on when I knew him said that he was an ideal uncle figure. There were kids all over England and Ireland, the kids of friends of his, and they all regarded him with reverence, you know. And, and my kids still talk about missing him mm. when he went. And, and so I think that would have helped a lot. It wouldn't have changed my sexual life at all, although I think that when I was getting crazy, he would have been a very good um, counseling figure. Yeah, because he would have known where of. Yeah, he was a little older than I was, and I was in some awe of him from the beginning. He was very well read. He knew music much better than I did, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and so, I, you know, I, I took what he said very, very seriously. And, um, you know, when he was gone, I, I really felt he was a fraternal figure. And I'm an only child, and I regret that a lot. And he was the closest I had to a sibling. And so that, that was a big, a big loss. And it was very unexpected because he died so suddenly. You know. And yeah, uh, and I, I mean, it felt like everything, I, everything you said about him and the, and the relationship you had struck a very familiar chord to me. And, and it's one that I've, a chord that I've heard in other, so many writers, like this, like the slightly older but, sim but peer mentor. Yeah, that was that it. becomes an br older brother friend. That was it, really, you know. I mean, and for instance, when I first met him, I was 19, 20 maybe, I stammered very badly. And when you stammer very badly, you meet two kinds of people. You meet people who don't want to talk to you or people who are maternally sympathetic yeah. and want to help you in ways that don't work <laughs> and are kind of silly. And, yeah. and Kieran was quite different. He said, oh, come on, don't do that. Tell me what you want me to say. What you want to say is important to you. Tell me, come on. And sometimes he was quite fierce about it. Yeah. And it was very valuable, very valuable. Because, you know, if, if you have a thing like a stammer, you, you probably over the years, have lapsed into self-pity because of it. You think you're afflicted by it. And, oh, Somerset you know, Mom had that problem. That's, that's right. And he said, he sort of said effectively, oh, come on, grow up. And in his lifetime, the stammer went away. So it was a very... It worked. <laughs> it was a very happy thing. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. Well, I mean, what yeah. a legacy. Yeah, to, to yeah, have. yeah. Um, uh, he's seen, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you, you for me, at least, you, you do, uh, uh, he has a vivid pre presence. You actually yeah. spoke about him when I was here last time, but it, I had no idea about yeah. the gay part, because it was more about how you, when you were making films together, right. starting out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he went on to be a fairly accomplished documentary. Oh, I'm a fiction and, filmmaker, too. In the Irish, no, he, Irish cinema. He, he was a good filmmaker. He never broke out of the Irish framework, yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, which was odd because he didn't like Ireland. He was not an Irish Irishman at all, you know. Uh, but all his films are Irish in their, in their setting. In their setting. Yeah. yeah. I have to, exp I hope some of them are viewable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I hope they are too. What is the Tell Say's full name? Karen Hickey. Hickey. H I C K E Y. Yeah. Just so the yeah the ghosts can hear. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I was kind of I wasn't surprised by because I've been having similar idea. I have been having similar hypotheses lately, um, but I was nevertheless kind of impressed by just how this entire history of gays in Hollywood, which is in many senses like Sleeping with Strangers is a, the, the, the subtitle, How Movies Shaped Desire, yeah. is sort of your, the second thesis of the book, of How Movies Shaped Desires, when you yeah. get into the effects they might have had on our shiftiness, our actorliness, our, uh, uh, our thirst for more and more variety and more yeah. and more. And all of which are valid speculations, for sure, um, because everything affects us. And as I was saying, like, there's no way that my whatever, whatever hand I was dealt was not was was uh, uh, un, untouched by the movies mm. that I saw. Um, and just the sheer, as you said, like the 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 assertion of male beauty in movies that if you're if you're Considering the entire screen, how can you ignore this giant presence over here? As beautiful as the woman is over over here, sure. there, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. it's made beautiful, and it's and it's usually made be- all by straight men. I mean, in terms of the male beauty, the male aspects of it are sort of not not the actors who are seemingly all of them by. Bisex- I mean, I could I didn't know about Spencer Tracy nibbling on that guy's foreskin. Uh, that was a surprise. And by the way, my guess—it's all—it's all rumor, and you can't trust a, a hustler, as you say, in in a memoir. But it it checks out for me because when that's told as a lie, it's told in the other direction. Yeah. The lie would be that he for that that he pressured me to yeah. go down on him. Yeah. Whereas the truth would be that no, yeah. no, he nibbled your foreskin. Yeah. yeah. Well, out of abject it, fatigue. It strikes true to me, and and you know that. The, the, the group that Cukor gathered and cultivated and made some fabulous films with, they, uh, there, there was hardly a... It was a there, I don't think there really was a, a straight person in the group. You know, okay. Right. And, and uh. I think you have to recognize how far defensively people hung together with people who wouldn't betray them. Right. Because that was a huge fear. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's a huge fear today. Stronger today, perhaps. Oh, I I mean, careers could be crushed with one story. Yeah. You know, and you probably know some of the careers that could be. And, and, uh, you know, people are hanging on. I hope they did it. It's very, I've never been, (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, this is its own, this is its own thing, but it's like I've I've never been so hyper aware of how important how important it is to have the right pe- to trust the right people. Oh, oh! But it, it's not you can't be casual about it. That's anymore, right. Period. And you know, part of that is that a number of actresses would even marry gay men to have cover. Right. So they could go out with someone 
without feeling afraid they were going to be raped or exploited because of that, you know. And that's a big thing in the 30s. In Bring the 30s. back the bearded marriage. I, 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 you know, I read it with such... I, pref, I prefer to be married to, you know, with one of those actresses yeah. than in some cockamamie gay marriage with some... Yeah, the, you yeah. Know. And I think some of those marriages were very good marriages. And, and, uh, See, I deal, eventually that's what marriages tend to become anyway, right? <laughs> You've got to have someone you trust. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, that, but what's also clear is that they could trust, like Hollywood, the straight Hollywood papas, the Papa, Papa Zucker, <laughs> right? The Zucker? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, I don't know about him specifically, but in general, they protected the gays of Hollywood. The gays of Hollywood had protection. No? I think you're right. And I think that that was because they were doing such good work. I mean, you know, Cukor was one of the most professional directors in the business. He made some poor films, but he made film after film that worked. Right. And he was very good at making films work. And, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And, and, uh, and they were looked after. And, you know, that generation, the sort of pioneer generation, they were weird people because they had made such a such a huge change in their own lives you know when you think that Louis B. Mayer went from being an uneducated scrap iron merchant to the highest paid man in America welcomed at every great household it's extraordinary change how people negotiate that amazing but I think it made them often quite tolerant I, I mean, history bears this out, not that I'm an expert on history, but it seems to me that when there is a, uh, the, the kind of a, the culturally ambitious merchant, uh, the, the sort of, the, has been, I mean, they, I, I, I believe was a very big part of Renaissance Venice, around Italy, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I see a connection there, which yeah. is like, there's a certain, part of it is that there's, an un, there's a certain lack of snobbery, and there's a certain, la, there's a certain, um, Sense of that. Well, they're in. The, they're in a. They're they're in over their heads in this department, but yeah. they're making a ton of money yeah. dealing with it, yeah. and they want to be respected by yeah. these people, yeah. and they're not going to shit on the merchandise. No, 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 right, right. And so it's very nice to because because flash forward to five years ago, oh. and Kevin Spacey gets erased from a movie. Yeah, and, and actually, I, literally erased from yeah, a performance. I again. know, and you know. <laughs> I mean, I can believe he's an unpleasant guy, but he's a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic actor. He did nothing wrong, and yeah. as far as I can tell... I agree. <laughs> it's, it's shocking. It's awful. Yeah. But he got erased from a movie. I know. He's now making independent cinema from his Baltimore well, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I'm going to have to call a halt. Well, I, 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 I'm appreciative for... The time and no, I've, I've enjoyed it very much, but I've got other things. I'm no, going I'm to do. sure. Yeah, I, I'm very yeah. excited to read. Genuinely excited to read the trilogy. I will send stuff to you. Yeah, I've uh, got PDFs of the two, and I can send. You. I'll I'll buy the two that are out, and I'll, I need to read them in paper. Fuck awesome. PDF. Fuck PDF. Um, but but uh, yeah, I'm very happy. I mean, it's, it's it's very relevant, and we can get into it next. Good. Time, but. Great. And, and Mr. Marcus, uh, Greel Marcus was very polite. Oh, you've, yeah, what did he say? He said that he's, he was, he'd be happy to do it if, when he gets over his health. 
yeah. situation. He seems to be on the mend. So That's good. I yeah, I'm hoping he yeah. said mentioned April, May, which is yeah. would be great. Good, because it'll also give me a time to pour through his books. Which yeah. I okay. Good. Well, if you come up again, let's have. I'll be only happy to. Yeah, I'll be very happy to. Good. And I will be up here yeah. again. Now, once you sit him down, he'll be away. Okay, perfect. He's a good talker. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, if he talks anything like he writes, oh, yeah. we're, no. we're in good shape. He's a good guy. Yeah. All right. All right, well, um, best of when luck. Do go, when do you go back to L.A.? Tuesday, uh, tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. All Three right. short stay. Let me show you what Yes, down the, uh, the Hitchcockian... <laughs> yeah. Stairs. The staircase, yeah. the staircase uh, at the bottom of which, in a different uh, iteration, you once met your wife, right? Your That's right. Good memory. Yes. <laughs> Who she can fall down the stairs? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay. And great you have to some you. mail here. Let me, yeah. let me, don't worry. I'll, I'll pay. Uh, uh, we don't have to, to scrape Thank the you door. Very much. Yes. Okay. I hope there's a good royalty check in there. <laughs> Take See care, David. It was a great pleasure. What love does So strange What love
Welcome back. Oh, it's a ghost. It's a ghost.